Welcome everybody to another episode of the King's Table, where it's all about bourbon, brotherhood, breaking bread. We back at it, we back at it, we back at it. Back at it. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the King's Table. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Today, what we sipping on, brother? We sipping on some Old Forester Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, 86 proof. 86 proof. I believe that was one of our episodes at one point. Yeah, it was actually. I think it was 92 proof. Yeah, you yeah, know what? It was 92 proof. They say Old, For- Old Forester was the first bottled bourbon. Mm. That's what they say. I don't know who they that, is. That's what they, they say. That's what they say. The they first. say the truth and then we tell the facts and then they lie. They lie all the time. <laughs> <laughs> they lie all the time. But who's they though? You know, the, 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 they mm-hmm. is both ubiquitous. <laughs> Mysterious. Hold on a second. Let me grab my uh, my my dictionary. <laughs> let me grab my let me grab my dictionary. Yo, how how you get into to like being such a historian, bro? Um, I'm just naturally curious. Okay. Know? I'm just curious about pretty much everything, man. Okay. So that's how I got that way. Um, you know, to be honest with you, <clears throat> when I was a child, like. I would try to figure things out, mm-hmm. right? Just like how do things work? And uh, I asked the question why a lot. Mm-hmm. So you that child that <laughs> Shut up, Kenyon! I, I was that kid. <laughs> Shut up, Kenyon! <laughs> I was look, I asked I asked all the questions. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, luckily enough I was around people who either were willing to ponder the questions that I asked. Mm-hmm. Or say, well, why don't you go find an answer and bring it back to me? Mm. And um, that started a lifelong just curiosity for me. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's that's where that came from. No, that's dope. That's dope. Um, well, for those that don't know, we are reintroducing the podcast. And, you know, we're just taking some time to, to get to know each other. Um, yes, into, Introducing ourselves. That's right. Uh, today, Brother Ken. Good brother Ken. Good brother. Good brother Ken. Tell us a little bit about yourself, brother. Um, so we know you're from Cleveland, yeah. Ohio. That's right. Um, so tell us a little bit about who you are and the experience in Cleveland. Because mm-hmm. from my understanding, you moved to several different places throughout the world. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, just to kind of give you my... I guess my resume. <laughs> you resume? Yeah. I so I said, let's talk about this English language real quick. Right. <laughs> Another episode. <laughs> Tell us your resume, brother. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, like you said, I was born and raised in Cleveland. Um, you know, I, I lived the, the typical, I would say a, a fairly typical inner city kid life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, you know, like we were talking about earlier, but the difference between poor and broke. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, you know, for me and my family, like, we were a lot closer to broke than poor. Mm-hmm. Um, I never missed no meals. We weren't on, you know, like, like people talk about government cheese and that. Like, we, we didn't, I didn't have that experience. However, I experienced, like, being able to look over the fence and be like, damn, like, I wish I had that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I had everything I needed. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, graduated high school. <clears throat> I actually was, like, accepted into a lot of colleges. I actually got some scholarship offers and stuff like that. But since nobody offered me a full ride, 
it was like, if I can't pay for it, I'm out. And I joined the military. Um, joined the Army, stayed there five years. Spent, you know, almost three years in combat. And then um, came home, you know, and, and I had a, you know, I, I just kind of had this decision at one point you know, on my third deployment. And I was, uh, I would call home like every Sunday, right? Call home, talk to my mom, you know. <clears throat> and there was just this one Sunday I called home and my niece was there with my mom. Mm -hmm. And I heard her in the background and my mom was like, talk to your uncle. And she was just crying. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to him. I'm scared for him. Like, what if he dies? And it was at that point I was like, all right, I'm done. So I just, uh, you know, I, I got out or whatever and, and started doing the school thing, got my degree and all that. I worked for a long time in the supply chain. You know, along the way, I've done a couple different things. You know, I've, I've seen some stuff and lived the life. For sure. Um, everything from, you know, promoting in, in Atlanta for like the club scene and stuff like that to, you know, my boys had a rap label. Yeah, Shout yeah, out yeah. Max out in ENT and uh, just being very instrumental in that. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, I fell in love with real estate and just came up here, man, and um, on Eclipse Day, mm -hmm. like, I think it was like August 21st, 2000 and, what is it, 17 or something like that, you know, I cut the nets. Yeah. You know, I was just telling my coach today, we were having coffee, and I told him, like, I wanted to do it for a while. Like now, when you say cutting, <clears throat> cutting, yeah, like you mean like as far as like becoming a full time entrepreneur, becoming a full time entrepreneur. Okay, like betting on myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I can remember, it was Eclipse Day, mm -hmm. right? The big solar eclipse, mm -hmm. and me and my wife, we were standing on top of the garage at Discovery Place in Huntersville, and looking at that eclipse, and it it was just so. There was something kind of symbolic about it mm -hmm. to me, but like that was the day where I completely cut the nets and just said, you know what, I'm gonna bet on myself. I'm going out on my own, sure. and I, I love the corporate world, you know, and I had dreams and aspirations there, but I just, you know, felt the need, the draw to do the real estate thing, and I did, and I haven't looked back since, mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of how I got here today. Like you and I, we met years ago at a campaign event for sure you know because sure. we do share some same uh like political ideologies you know and that's how we met yeah yeah hold on a second. you said we share <laughs> we share similar political ideologies. you sure we do because we always like go back and forth on <laughs> yeah I, I think we're uh, we're on the same side of a spectrum but yeah. it is a spectrum yeah, for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's how i got here man but I, I would say if i had to sum up the things that got me to where i am today is um you know, it's just taking a chance, it's perseverance, um, principles, and just like, some, sometimes you're saying, forget it, man, just just go. I, I really want to talk about the, the principles that you've learned along the way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. But I really want to go back to talk about the experience as far as being, let's do that, as far as being de de deployed Yeah. Um, in active combat, Yeah. right? Oftentimes, especially we as black men, don't talk about um, 
trauma. Right. Right. We don't talk about mental health. Agreed. We don't talk about our feelings, how we feel, mm-hmm. um, and different experiences that 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 really messed us up. But we we it's it's almost taboo to talk about our feelings. Yeah. As as black men, right? What are what are some of those? What are some barriers that you've had to overcome, or that you may even still struggle with? Well, so I would say you know, and I, I think I could speak for the vast majority of you know military members that have been in combat. It's not something that you. And thank ever, you. And thank you for your service. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. um, it's not something that you completely overcome. Mm-hmm. You just learn to cope with it. Um, so one of the things for me is like, it took me years to forgive myself for like one of my guys, he, so he wasn't a direct report to me. So one of the things I prided myself on, um, especially my third deployment is I was a squad leader. And so one of my things, like, I just want to bring all my guys on and I was able to do that. But one of the guys I was tight with and another guy who I was kind of a mentor to, they had a disagreement. And there was some alcohol involved, high stress, you in a combat situation and stuff like that. And the guy that I mentored gave him his nickname that everybody called him. Um, he ended up killing one of my, it was it was like friendly fire situation. Killing one of, one of our other guys who was I, I was tight with. And um, like, it took me a long time to forgive myself because in some way I felt guilty for that. Mm-hmm. And I replayed that night mm-hmm. over and over again, November 16, 2005. I replayed that night over and over in my head. Sometimes I wake up out of my sleep and it's like, I hear the five shots, cow, 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 right? I hear that. And it was like right outside of my, my trailer when it happened. And, you know, like looking at, his name was Dylan Paytas, the, the soldier that was killed. Just like being right there with him, seeing the anguish on his face as, as, as we loaded him up into the ambulance and stuff to try to get him out of there and save his life. Like, I carried guilt. And then I would say the most traumatic thing about it is I was the first person to pull guard on the shooter. So he was in a trailer by himself. And it's like, all right, we need somebody to pull a guard on him who won't kill him. And it was like, sorry, Harris, right? So <clears throat> I'm sitting in, in the, the chew with this dude. We call it the trailer chews or whatever. I'm sitting in there with this guy, and he's looking down. He's dejected. And it's like half of me wants to just, like, eliminate him. Not for sure. But the other half of me is like, how did this happen? And he just started talking to me. This is like no, he's he's actually passed on now. He died um, while he was at uh, Fort Leavenworth. But anyway, like he just started talking to me, and he was like, you know, kind of like I don't know how it happened. I wish it didn't happen, but that's not gonna bring Peters back. And like. I just told him straight up, I ain't know what else to say to him. I really didn't want to say much to him at all. And I just was like, if you don't know God, you might want to try to get right with him. Because you've taken a man's life and that wasn't in combat. 
you know, and that was it. That's all I ever said to him. I said, I sat with him for like four hours and we just sat in silence. And I was like, I don't know how I didn't attack him. You know what I'm saying? But then leaving, leaving after that, you know, and it's just, it was traumatic on top of the fact that it was constant stress. You're constantly getting attacked. You constantly got somebody shooting at you. You got folks freaking shooting mortar rounds at you. Like some of our guys got killed and stuff like that. And it's like you have to compartmentalize it, right? And for me, I've always been the type of person that, you know, when when, when shit hits the fan like that, mm-hmm. like the only thing I can think of is I need to be in, in some type of motion, sure. right? Like I can't just lay around. I got to go do some work. I got to go do something to just kind of deal with it, you know, to, to like get my mind off of it. Now you're talking about the aftermath yeah. of, of of trauma. Of trauma. Yeah. And especially in that situation, the, the, the thing is, though, like when you're in those situations, um, you have to continue doing something, mm-hmm. right? You got to continue the mission. While you're actively in the mission. Yeah. yeah. And it's like you don't get the chance to, to decompress from that a lot mm-hmm. of times. And then, you know, let's, let's face it, in the military culture, like you're a soldier, right? And so they need you to soldier Mm -hmm. so excuse me like when you're in the heat of the moment nobody's gonna say yeah are you feeling are you you okay are you okay are you alright yeah nobody you know you need a hug brother yeah Yeah. you ain't gonna get that you just gotta grind yeah yeah and so that's why we come back different Mm -hmm. and um you know for me honestly I would say the way I dealt with what I've been able to deal with a lot of it was like through my just reading and once again, lean on my curiosity, mm-hmm. writing, and then also, like, once I got back, it took me some years to do it, but I started going to therapy. Sure. Um, because that that stuff, you can be triggered by anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, shit. I remember one time, not long after I got back, I lived, you know, I was stationed in Georgia, and I was pulling into my parking lot of the place I was staying, and we had these huge magnolia trees. <clears throat> the big beautiful white flowers and I was getting ready to turn in to my apartment complex and there was a magnolia flower on the ground and I had an instant freak out I swerved almost crashed into another car just just whole thing because I thought it was an IED Mm. right and it's like I had had a a young lady I was seeing at the time was in in the car with me and she was like Scared, like yo, what's you using these streets, brother? Uh, you know, I mean, I've had a life, <laughs> but um, she's like, You good? Mm-hmm. and I'm like, Just breathing heavy, like, yeah, 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 like, let me come down from this. And um, yeah, but you know, you you, you learn how to, to cope with it, you know. So, so now you, you touched on therapy, um, a, a lot of us don't necessarily believe in therapy yeah and um i'm fortunate enough to know your family mm-hmm. right um and seeing how passionate <laughs> is, yeah. your, your wife is about therapy yeah. and she uses every conversation um to kind of therapize right we we, we know what that word she's means, right? good at her job yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so i like to make up words yeah as long I, as it makes sense. i use that word to therapize. Therapize. All right, therapize. Cool. all right cool so um how how does that shape your relationship mm-hmm. as far as like things you've been through, and that we know you actively need yeah. therapizing <laughs> um, or therapy? 
You know, I, I would think part of the way it shapes our relationship is that she's curious too, and so she always tries to peel back the layers for me. To be honest, I'm I am like a lot of soldiers. Like I don't talk about a lot of that stuff. Um, just because it's like, in in one sense. I'm, I'm kind of a stuffer. Like, I kind of keep stuff down. <clears throat> but the other thing, too, is just, like, you know, I, some of it you just try to, like, forget in some sense. But she she has an uncanny way of, like, getting you to open up and talk. And sometimes we'll be sitting there at dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll be like, damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm talking to you. You know, like, I'm telling her stuff that I did not intentionally mean to do. Um, and so, you know, I talk about some of it, some things I don't talk about. But one thing being what my wife has revealed to me is that I experienced a lot of trauma before I even joined the military. You know? Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> we were having this conversation about gangs, Right. And I told her how at one point I had a guy pull up on me. So I'll give you the scenario. So one of the guys I worked with when I was like 15, 16 at a fast food joint, he was in this gang in Cleveland, in East Cleveland, called Hot Sauce Hustler, Hot Sauce Hustlers. <laughs> right? The corniest name well, ever, right? Hold on, I saying, who's taking them serious? <laughs> right. Like, who takes it? Y'all but, stealing hot sauce yeah. or what? Like, <laughs> But they was Crips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then, you know, from, from my block, you know, everybody wore red, right? You know, so you know what it is. And so we went into the store, TNT Fashions. It was like a local clothing store. <clears throat> and we went in there to buy, like, baseball caps, right? So he bought, like, a... I think it was like a Blue Jays hat or something like that. And I bought a Cincinnati Reds hat. And as he was buying this hat, we just, you know, we teenagers, you know, we just kind of shooting the breeze. And I said something to him about um, he was buying a flu hat, right? Which is like, you know, in that culture, you wouldn't want to say that. So I'm like, oh, you buying that old flu hat or whatever. And so I, I see this dude. He's in the store. He's looking around, trying to buy some stuff. He looked like MC8. And he was like, he he made a sideways comment like, man, these young boys just don't understand, right? And so, I buy my hat. He buys his hat. We walk out the store. We walk across the street back to the establishment where we work. And as we're walking up, I hear somebody come up behind me. And he's like, hey, hey, you still going to buy that dead-ass hat? You still going to buy that dead-ass hat? And I turn around. And I'm like, yo, what's up? He was like, you going to go in the store and buy that old dead-ass hat? You know, and he started naming all this, you know, he a real crip from Cali and this and that and the third. And dude pulled out a Glock, you know what I'm saying? And pulled it out and pointed it at me, straight in my face. And I'm, I'm like 16, bro. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, over a hat? That's all I said to him. I was like, over a hat? And then, you know, the, the dude I work with, he was just like, he was like, you serious, man? We 16, you know? And then he was like, man, y'all just don't understand. And he was like, I should shoot you right now, right? And then he just put it up and he walked away. And I'm thinking, like, over a baseball cap, bro? Like, and, and you all, you know, whatever, Crip gang, you this and that. Like, this is Cleveland. Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? But then it's like, that should not happen to a boy. So then, yeah, me and my wife were just having a conversation. And I told her about it. And she was like, you know, that's traumatic. And then we started talking about some other things. And it was like, dang, like, you experienced a lot of trauma as a kid. And now, you take that, all of all these things by the age of 18, and then it's like, and go off to the military. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go send him to the sandbox. Because what, what's crazy is, growing up in the hood, we're, we're in, especially in the 80s and 90s, yeah. in, in most black communities, it's, it's a war zone. Yeah. I'm saying the crack epidemic hit mid to late 80s, yeah. and it just spread like wildfire to every yeah. black community, right? Yeah. So you have, then that spot, that was around the same era of the gang culture, mm-hmm. I'm saying, and the fight for territory, right. Right? the fight for, I'm saying, for dominance, the fight for respect, yeah. I'm saying, so it's like, if you were born in the 80s, <laughs> I'm saying, like, one way or another, you were affected either by the crack epidemic, or by the gang culture. That's facts. Because they're saying like that. There's, there's just so much that we experienced and yeah. been traumatized by throughout before we even hit eighteen. Yeah. Before we hit fifteen. That's facts. I'm saying so. Like, I'm gonna ask you this question: mm-hmm. At what age did you see your first body drop? I was nine years old. And there was a, a friend of mine, you know, we kids in the hood. And it was actually his dad. And I saw him, like, I saw it. You know how you see it, but you don't see it. And it was actually on, on like, the alley of, of my street or whatever. Coming home, you know, the, the street lights come home, so, you, you know, you kind of run home or whatever. And um, I saw it. I saw his dad get shot. I, I didn't know that that was his dad. You know, and I won't I won't say his name, but I saw it happen. And then the next day, like he I don't know why he came to my house, but like the next day he came to my house and he was just bawling out crying, Oh, they found my dad dead, this and that, on hundred and eighth. And it's like, What happened? He got shot last night and it's like, Oh snap. Like I saw that. And um yeah, I was nine years old, man. And I that that stuck with me. That was the first time I saw somebody get killed yeah, yeah. and I, I mean I've seen several people you know obviously I'm, I've seen several people get killed but like that's something that at that age though but at that Cause, age that's cause, traumatic because as a kid you was saying like having an innocent perspective of the world yeah. an, an innocent view of the world I didn't really you know at that age I, I couldn't really process it in the moment okay you know what I'm saying like it took me a, a while to process what I had seen and it wasn't like I testified or nothing like that it was just something I saw I don't think, I don't think I told my parents about that until I was like an adult. But it was something I just I saw, and it was like, I know that's wrong and that's traumatic, and then it's just like, well, gotta go to school, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and try to act normal. <laughs> yeah, but you've just seen something a child should not see, and I, I mean, on, when I was a kid, man, on my blog, it was just like shootouts all the time and all this, you know, this drug activity and stuff like that, you know, and to a certain extent, it becomes normal. And it's just like, when you grow up in that environment, it's like, you're, you're, the first thing is just, how do I survive? Survival. 
and 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 that's our as humans. Mm -hmm. That's our innate state, right? It's just survival. That's right. Forget success. Forget forget making money. It's it's just survival. Yeah. That's our just our innate state. So sometimes the body will react off of a situation just in the survival mode. The the mind subconsciously will kick into a survival state. Yeah. Even if I'm saying it's a, a situation that's not even the 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 flower being on the floor, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Your body seeing something, and it just hopped into survival mode. Yeah, that's facts. But that's that's crazy, man. Um, as far as this, this, it's 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 been a journey from the we call it the the average or the typical rather. Mm -hmm. I'm saying reality of a young black boy growing up in the in the right. Um, how how has that shaped your faith? Well, I mean, faith is is something that's like obviously important to me. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that the way it shaped my faith is that, like, I have been reminded that like I could die. Mm -hmm. You know, like death is not to say I don't have any fear at all of death, but I I, I respect death as a present. It's, it's a present thing at all times, right? Um, which kind of shapes my my worldview and my philosophy. You know, like I would say that I would describe my life philosophy as a mixture of Christianity and Stoicism um, in the sense that, like, my, my Christianity kind of guide. that's like my North Star, sure. right? So that kind of guides my interactions with people it, it's like the overarching theme to how I deal with life. But there's a, a, a touch of stoicism in that, like, I need to, as best I can, not be controlled by my emotions. I need to be rational. But I also need to live in a world of reason, right? Because at the end of the day, like, no matter what happens in this world, it's not necessarily affected by our biases on how we think about the event it's like there's a reasonable thing happening and you're experiencing you're going to experience that but how you experience it is based off the choice that you make so so how does that relate to christianity though so i like to tell people that king solomon was the first stoic right because if you read proverbs it reads a lot like socrates and epictetus 100% right um, and so I read Proverbs quite a bit, you know what I mean? And he talks a lot about making right choices, right? And he talks about this character, Lady Wisdom, right? And wisdom can only be gained through experience. And, you know, although I'm only 38 years old, I've experienced a lot of stuff. And I was, I was born to older parents, and they were, like, super wise. So I've always tried to be rational in how I move. Like, I try my best not to be moving out of emotions am I perfect no I'm not you know because let me let me run into an obstacle there's a chance my emotion may come out but for the most part I'm just kind of calm yeah so so two things like <clears throat> the first thing the the emotions bit and being triggered mm -hmm. right we were on so we do our guys trip right <laughs> <We> <laughs> I already know what you're gonna say yeah yeah we do, we do our guys trip yeah. and we were this particular trip, we were in Nashville, Tennessee. No, we were in Miami. No, no, no. This is what I'm talking about is in Nashville. Uh-huh. Nashville trip, 
and we were in downtown Nashville where the Christmas bomber oh, yeah. blew up the building. Yeah, I remember that. My need for you remind me of that Miami trip. Because maybe I was... Nah. Maybe I fell asleep on that. <laughs> nah, you didn't fall asleep. Okay. So, yeah, I need to be reminded of that one. But I love stories. Mm-hmm. So we were in Nashville, and, you know, the we walked by the site of where the Christmas yeah. bombing took place. Yeah. And... I didn't quite understand, you know, like what what happened. So I'm like, not making light of the situation, but I'm mm-hmm. like, God damn, nigga blew up the motherfucker. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, it, dude, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't like a it wasn't the World Trade. Yeah, right. It it didn't it didn't have thousands of casualties. Right, right. So the way you reacted, bro. Yeah. The way you reacted, I'm like, yo, my my, my man needs a hug. Hey, can, Brother Ken, I, I love you. You know, because <laughs> that was the first time I seen you act emotional yeah. towards towards anything. Part of the reason for that is like I do. I do feel like there's a certain amount of courage that a man should have. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you got to be like William Wallace, mm-hmm. but if you're gonna take your life, go take Just your take own your life. life. Yeah, for sure. You don't need to destroy these other people's life and property. Because yeah. careers were affected by that. People, Other people by were killed. Because yeah, you know? that whole strip was shut down. It was destroyed. Shut it was already COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, that's a whole other thing, because we're dealing with a national trauma mm-hmm. right now that we haven't figured out how to deal with. Right. But that that's that's why I was triggered, because I'm like, dang, you could have just shot yourself in the head. Yeah. You know? Just take yourself out, we yeah. good. I mean, quiet is kept. Like, one of my best friends... He he committed suicide. I don't commend him for that. Um, that is another traumatic event that I've, I've experienced. Um, being the last person to talk to him before he, he shot himself. On September 11th, no less. But, like, it was... There's a certain level of, like, self-determination in that. In that you don't want to... You're not going to hurt someone else. You just do what you do. You just get rid of yourself, right? But that one, that one, that that kind of struck me because I'm like, wow, he did all. That was kind of unnecessary, especially for the fact that he was led. He did it under like a false pretense of some type of uh, conspiracy thing. I don't remember the exact story, but I, I know it was like they found that he believed in some some falsehoods and stuff that caused him to do that. And it's like, you know, be curious. Do some investigation. Sure. Curiosity's free. So as far as like conspiracies though, because with conspiracies, uh, there's a lot of what one may consider to be truths on conspiracies based on their findings. Yeah. I, I don't think that people like, consp- and I'm not justifying his mm-hmm. action to be at all. Absolutely. Right? But just on the notion of conspiracies, because to conspire is to plan right. something. Nothing more, nothing less. Right. Right? So you're planning to do something. So with conspiracy theorists, it's like you've done the investigation, you've done the research, you've mm-hmm. done the, the following up on. A, a, a smart cons- conspiracy theorist. Right. You've done your part to, to um, identify or learn of whatever the conspiracy is. Yeah. Um, with, with a lot of conspiracies, 
let, let's talk about that with conspiracies. Where you, where you stand? Because we these are some debates that we right. have of, as far as like conspiracies. Yeah, I'm like, just a skeptic. Sure. So for me, I I tend to be somebody who is like very. I have to have evidence. Mm-hmm. Like I have to have some like either empirical or peer reviewed or something that's logical. Sure. You know what I mean. And so I, I think for a lot of the things that are floating around, it's like once you kind of do a little bit of investigation, mm-hmm. because, I mean, we, li- we live in a, a, a relatively free information society. Mm-hmm. We definitely don't have full freedom of information. Absolutely. But for the most part, info is out there, or at least you can, you can find the crumbs. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think just a little bit of critical thinking can give you the answer Whereas I think a lot of folks stop short of that because they, they only look for whatever confirms their biases. Mm, so let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Is religion a conspiracy? I think what religion... So my definition of religion is just something that you do consistently. Okay, let me ask you this. <laughs> right. Is spiritual religion... So if you're asking me if like if like religious systems sure are a conspiracy, is, is Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, mm-hmm. Hinduism, right, uh, Judaism, are those conspiracies? I think what those are are spiritual systems that are administered mm-hmm. or administrated by flawed men, right? So when I take I take for instance something like Islam. I spent a lot of time in the Middle East. You know, I've gotten to know some Muslims. I, I knew Muslims before I left, right? And one thing I can say about Islam is that most practicing Muslims, as, as a matter of fact, today is the end of Ramadan, right? Eat off day. And they are peaceful people. However, there is a small section of Muslims who are not peaceful. And they have tainted mm-hmm. Islam. They've tainted the image of Islam. They have conspired, if you want to ask, like, yeah, they have conspired to assert a certain, like, way of living that is, is very fundamental and it is very rigid to their interpretation of it. And I think with all, you know, religious systems, all spiritual systems, the unfortunate thing, two of them, is like most of them are pretty much up to your own interpretation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take Buddhism, for instance. I think at last check, there's something like two or 3,000 different quote-unquote gods, gods yeah, yeah, of yeah. Buddhism, right? And, you you know, they're mostly gods with a little G. Mm-hmm. And, and technically, like, like Buddhism, I don't think, I could be wrong here, I'm not like an expert, but I don't think they have like a big G god, mm-hmm. per se. Right. Same, same thing with Hinduism. Yeah, same thing with Hinduism, right? So, at, in my opinion, like, men have always tried to control God. That's why the imagery always matches the, the political power of the time. In the region. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I think that religion in and of itself has no necessary... It, it's not trying to do anything, mm-hmm. right? So... I think that's actually one of the things that sets uh, Christianity apart from other religions, okay. right, or other religious systems, is that 
it is the only one that causes you to have to do something or have to make a decision, right? So you don't see many people going out and they they get a conversion call to other faiths, right? I think I think Islam is, is well. The, the, so the same path. well, yeah. The, but the thing with Islam is that you you as the individual still have to do something to achieve mm-hmm. the the nirvana where or or you know to go to heaven or whatever um through religion mm-hmm. whereas christianity is like you have to make a decision mm-hmm. to accept what's already been given to you mm-hmm. and the thing is like your work cannot get you to that self actualization or heaven as people will call it or whatever like that doesn't come through human works whereas you take like Catholicism and you got to do the seven sacraments religiously right same thing with Eastern Orthodox Christianity Islam like you know there's like levels of Islam like because you can be a Muslim and be a, a great practicing Muslim right but there's another standard where if you take the Hajj you, it's not like you become like a super Muslim. However, your name changes. It's, it's a super Muslim. Yeah, your exactly. name changes. It's right? a super Muslim. As a matter of fact, when I was in the Middle East, you know, I learned some of the language, mm-hmm. and even the way I would like greet another Muslim, mm-hmm. it changes. Would change yeah. based on if that person had taken the Hajj, yeah. and I respect that because I love religion. Like I, I love all religions because it's, it's amazing to mm-hmm. me because we all believe in some really outer worldly incredible things if you're going to follow any type of faith but I think the thing with Christianity is like you can't achieve it you have to accept it whereas if I'm going to go be I don't know a Hindu and I want to achieve that highest level like there's certain things I need to do like you know to to get to that point and it's like it's very impossible, I think, for men. While we try to control gods, we can't be. It's like it's hard to be a god as a man. And some of these other faiths will try. And it's not a knock on them, but it's just like it's kind of like a Gordian knot, right? Because we're so imperfect, right? That's the purpose of, re- of religion and spirituality and faith anyway, is like something has to repair the human condition because we are imperfect. Mm-hmm. And one of the things with, you know, say a Christianity is that you don't have to be perfect. However, if you do encounter it, something has to change because it will be evident that what you say and what you do or what you say and what you profess don't line up. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I think that's a, 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 a beautiful perspective of hope. Yeah. Right? Um, where you could put that perspective into a life change. Mm-hmm. And basically a transformation happens mentally first, then it matriculates into your lifestyle. Yeah. Um, about lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I think I, me knowing you for the past four or five years, I've definitely seen a shift in you. Really? Right. Oh, drastically. Drastically. Um, and, you know, on, on the podcast, we've talked about manhood, mm-hmm. what it means to be a man. Um, 
we've talked about emotions, we've talked about relationships, we've talked we've talked about a plethora of things. Um, but one space I haven't seen you in, bro, mm-hmm. right? And I and it, it's it's definitely the most beautiful space that you could see a man. Mm-hmm. Should I say pause? <laughs> nah, the homo man. <laughs> we both nigga know. Balls, nigga. <laughs> <laughs> nigga, balls, nigga. nigga straight in here, right? <laughs> but the most the most beautiful but yet vulnerable but yet masculine mm-hmm. and tough and strong but sensitive yeah. and soft. Super soft mm-hmm. is being a father. Yeah. Like see seeing you fathering, bro, mm-hmm. like it's it's been like again we've known each other for four or five years right um i've never seen you in this state being this vulnerable being this emotional yeah. where, where does that come from well, you know i don't i don't necessarily because you'll cry before your wife will cry yeah, yeah. when it comes to my you yeah. know <laughs> like to those that don't know yeah. it, you know like three month old son and um <clears throat> it's the most amazing experience um, but there's like, and, and you can attest to this, you're going to walk the gamut of emotions every day. Oh, for sure. From, even even with teenagers. Yeah, yeah. even with teens. Yeah. And I got a bunch of nieces and nephew, nephews who I'm tight with, um, but there's something about your seed when it's, it's your responsibility. Because I go from, wow, it's amazing, you know, to, oh, like, look what he's doing. He's doing something new. To how am I gonna pay for this? You know, to how do I be the man that I want him to respect? It's not I'm not trying to be the man that I want him to be. I want to be the man I want him to respect. And how do I, you know, I was talking to my coach today, and I told him like he was telling me about a story about his son and something that his son did that showed honor and people publicly praised him for it. And I said, one of the only things I want to do is raise a man of honor. And that, that shit is deep, bro. That's deep. That's deep. And it's like, it comes from knowing that regardless of who your father is, you as a man are going to want to model yourself after him. Right? And so it's like, I need to be the man that he can respect. Like, because when he turns 16, I want him to be able to come to me and talk to me about whatever. You know what I mean? I want him to be able to to look at me proudly and say, that's my father. So it is, it, it, it's like every day it's a journey. I don't know how, you know, my parents are dead. And <clears throat> my father, up until he got sick, you know, until I was like, about 12 years old, dude, my dad was my hero. You know what I'm saying? Like, everywhere he went, I went. You know what I'm saying? He out there going fishing, I'm going fishing too. You know what I mean? He trying to work on a car, I'm up underneath the car with him. You know what I mean? Like, so I wanted to be like him. And he was not a perfect man. He was very much a flawed man. But when I transpose that onto my son, it's like, I want him to have reverence for his father the same way I did for mine. And at 12, 13 years old, the, it was like a, a, a freaking switch was flipped and I had to 
I had to like clean my father's diapers. You know, he was incontinent. He was incompetent. He was he he had strokes, so he he would forget. He forgot everybody in the world but me. And so, trauma. Once again, that's a childhood trauma. Yeah, for sure. Um, he and died when I was eighteen. Was, okay. Right. So for for you know five six years, I had to do that. Yeah. On top of playing sports, going to school, yeah, yeah. trying to work, this and that. So, it's like, as long as I'm here, I want to be that man that my my son looks up to. And so that's where all the emotions. Like just last night. I found myself, um, I felt like my mother. I was like, dang, I'm kind of like my mom. Because my mom was breastfeeding. <laughs> I might as well. The way he don't want to sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, my mom used to like, my mom was very, very like old school Baptist Christian. Um, and she used to like just almost float. I used to watch her. She was like float around the house. Just praying. <clears throat> burning sage. Throwing salt, right? Excuse me. And um, she would pray over me, right? Pray over my brothers and just sing hymns and just like, just floating around the house. And so my son has this thing where he won't, sometimes I have to walk him around to get him to go to sleep in the middle of the night. And so I just had him and I was like, and my head was playing all these like Christian songs that have gotten me through tough periods. And it's like I was having like a worship experience just holding my son and I'm looking at him. And some of those songs, like the lyrics of one of the lyrics of one of those songs says, um, like, oh, God, my, I need you now, how I need you now. You know, my one defense, my righteousness, oh, God, how I need you now. And I was thinking, like, I don't know how to raise him. But I know that I've been reading Proverbs, right? And I know that I got you. You know, I got our brother Sev, I got my big brothers, right, who have raised children. You know, I got a lot of friends who are much older than me that I can call on. And it's like, I don't know how to do this. I have to lean on the people that I feel like have been divinely ordered in my life to teach me, right, to guide me. And I'm just like, if God don't show me how to do it, I don't, I, like, he's not going to get raised. Yeah, yeah. And I remember my mother, as she was dying, like, I was I was holding her. She's like a skeleton. She had cancer. And I was holding her, and she was going in and out. The cancer spread to the brain and everything. And she had this moment of, like, lucidity. And she was on the couch, and like I said, I was holding her. And it was just me and her in the middle of the night. And she was like, I didn't know how to raise y'all. She's mm. like, God damn. God taught me. And that stuck with me. Cause last night, I'm holding this boy, right? Mm -hmm. It was only God. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's where I get <laughs> I'm emotional yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's because like you don't know until you do. And that's where like every day. I try to just like continue to, to be an example because he's only three months now. Mm -hmm. But it's like when he turned 12, I want him to look at me and be like, nah, it was a deadbeat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? So so I think it, as far as being three months old, mm -hmm. there's challenging. So the conversation we had at your house a couple of weeks ago, yeah. last week, um, 
about does parenting get easier? I don't think it does. It sure does. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, does does it get easier? Um, one of the gentlemen that was at the table said, "Nah, you just gotta learn how to be rejected." Right. So, in in every phase, there's a lesson to be learned. Yeah. Right. Because I look at um, I don't want any more kids. <laughs> right? I know it. Hey, listen, and you've done something about it. Hey, listen, <laughs> faith comes by hearing uh-huh. right, the word. Yeah. But faith without what yeah. works is what dead. All right, cool. All my niggas are dead. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so so like through every phase of raising a child is completely completely different. So. So one of one of um one of the things that was said is like yo you gotta learn to be rejected. Mm-hmm. That's tough. And I'm like nah I don't, don't want to be rejected. Mm-mm. I don't <laughs> I, want that. I, 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 <laughs> all these sacrifices I've made, all, all, all this money I've spent, all, all this time I've spent to to learn to grow yeah. to appreciate to be appreciated yeah. to like to be here to be present yeah like nah I don't. I demand to be. You want to be respected, yeah, and accepted, and accepted. <laughs> right? But but that rejection part, and and being the only child, I've I've learned to be rejected. Yeah. Right. So I've learned to be rejected after being let down time after time after time after time, being hurt time right. after time after time. Yeah. Right. But for something that comes out of out of you, mm-hmm. right? That you're raising that. Everything you've poured into yeah. to reject you, that's different. That, that shit, that shit hits different. That's like, different. That I, I, I haven't experienced it, and I'm like you. I don't want to experience that. Yeah. So, so like, in 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 parenting and fatherhood, because um, I speak to you as a father. Yeah. Not just as a parent, but as a father, as a man, defining what manhood is mm-hmm. to our boys, to our children, to our daughters, to. Even them saying our, our nieces, our nephews, cousins, those that are coming up after us. Yeah. And them saying, like, what what are your final thoughts on manhood? So I, I tend to still so when I see something good and it makes sense, mm-hmm. I steal it. Mm-hmm. Right? I borrow. Mm-hmm. So Ryan Michler, Mickler, some people pronounce his last name, he has a podcast called The Order of Man. Mm-hmm. And he likes to say that as men our job, we have three jobs, to protect, provide, and preside. And that, to me, you can sum up what authentic masculinity is mm. in those three things, right? So, number one. That, that's dope, bro. Yeah. That's dope. I protect my family. That That is a job of a man, mm. right? So... It's no knock on women. I've, I've been around some extraordinary women. My wife is a warfighter, right? So she can use a weapon, you know what I mean? And she's completely proficient in the art of marksmanship. However, like, if somebody intrudes on that property in the middle of the night, it's my job first to protect that house, right? It's my job not only to protect her physically, but like I need to, and it's something I'm working at getting better at. It's like, how do I protect her emotions, right? How do I protect her and make her feel 
loved and respected as a woman, right? As my wife. So protection is number one. Um, provision, providing, that's number two, right? So as a man, it is our job to go out there and provide what that house needs to run. You know what I mean? You know this, like you a single parent, right? So there's children that live in your house while, well, yeah, they're working age, but they'll never need for anything above what you can't give them. You see what I'm saying? They're not going to miss any meals in that house. And I know you as a man, I know you'll work around the clock to provide for your children, right? And so that's the second man, thing. Forget <laughs> like, we, we have to be providers, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, me saying I want to provide for my wife and my child and my friends and my family around me, that's not toxic masculinity. That's authentic masculinity. There should be nobody in my purview that I can't provide for. Mm. I may not be able to put every meal on your table, but if you come to me, I may be able to give you an idea to get you back on track or connect you to somebody, right? That's provision. You see what I'm saying? And then the third thing is preside, right? And so to me, what presiding means is that, yes, as a man, you are the head, right? What that means is if there is a major decision in this house, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to take, you know, good counsel from my wife or get advice from my wife. But at the end of the day, it's like, yo, I feel like I'm responsible for making the final decision, right? Not only that, like there are certain things where you have to set the tone, right? So if I come home and every day I'm letting work kill me and I'm in the funk just because of it, right? When I come home, I'm setting the tone of the house. You see what I mean? If my son, my son's gonna learn how to be a man from me, right? So I need to set the tone. What is he gonna learn from me, right? Is he gonna learn like, you know, laziness, entitlement, don't work? for anything, just let everything be given to you? Or is he gonna learn, like, you kill what you hunt, you like, you, 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 you eat what you kill, right? Is that what you're gonna learn from me? Or are you gonna learn respect and honor from me? Or are you gonna learn disrespect from me, right? So you have to be like the person that leads in the sense of like wisdom, of guidance, right? Because I, I once heard somebody say that, you know, the man, follows the divine and his house follows the man, right? Or like uh, St. Paul said at best where he says, you know, follow me as I follow Christ, right? And if you're not a Christian, you don't have to follow that, but it's like whatever is your guiding principle. You have to have that guiding principle. You got to have it. Yeah, for sure. And then you have to like reinforce that to your house. It's not that you're a tyrant, Mm -hmm. but if you're doing something good and worthwhile and it is a good and worthy guiding light, then that's a positive thing, and they should want to follow you. For sure. You shouldn't have any pushback. So to me, that's what masculinity is. I feel like we've lost it in our society. You know, we've kind of emasculated our men in the sense that uh, none of, we're, we're too entitled. People don't want to work, right? And people want everything handed to them. So, you know, we got to get out of that and get back to, to like, you know, being, being real men. You know what I mean? So, so we'll get into to, to that on, on another day. That might be the next episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now, nah, man, um, I, I and, and this is like why we started this podcast, right? Because I think a lot of healing 
comes through conversation. Oh yeah. And and we as as men, not just black, right? Mm-hmm. Not just we as men, just men, right? Don't take the time and opportunity to really talk things yeah. through, get to know each other as men. Absolutely. Um, and healing happens through conversations, and um, there's a lot of beauty. There's a lot of beauty that can come, beauty and healing, yeah. that can come through these conversations that take place. Yes, sir. But, um, but yeah, it's been a pleasure, brother, getting to know you a little bit more. Yeah, let's do um, it. As my brother, as as a fellow king at the table, um, as always, it's all about bourbon. Brotherhood. And breaking bread. Yes, sir. And hoping that healing comes from these conversations. Yeah, let's do it. Much love and honor to you, fam. You too, bro. Hold on, hold on a second. On the record, I want, I want to hear you say I love you. I love you, my brother. I love you, my brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs>